it's probably down to less than 1% of uh, disputes uh, that are filed end up in a trial itself. And I'd say for construction, it's even less than that. Uh, so most things resolve sooner or later. And uh, that's a trend that has uh, continued over the years for a variety of reasons. From Rain Associates Studio, this is Unsuitable, a management and financial services podcast for entrepreneurs, tenured business leaders, and others who are ready to look beyond the suit and tie culture for meaningful, measurable results. I'm Doug Hauser. Be careful. It's lawsuit city out there, and you never know when you might be the target of legal turmoil. Fortunately, on this episode of Unsuitable, Don Gregory, Director and Chair of the Construction Law Practice at Kegler, Brown, Hill & Ritter, is here to provide us with some tips that will help keep you out of trouble before trouble finds you. Welcome to Unsuitable, Don. Thank you, Doug. You're in no trouble at all. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm always uh, in some sort of trouble, particularly with three daughters, but uh, you know. I, we do the best we can. Well, there's a couple years there. Just send them to a nunnery and everything will be fine. <laughs> they'll, they'll turn out great when they come back. We we actually threatened that with my youngest uh, at one time. She's now 17. Uh, we threatened that at one time. So she's, uh, yeah. We, How, how'd that work for you? Uh, not not well because, <laughs> you know, a couple. she's, honestly, she is a wonderful child. But a couple of uh, months ago, she, she told us that she was going to go very far in life because... She is highly ambitious, and she has loose morals. Just well, what you want to hear from your 17-year-old daughter. It's a great combination. <laughs> She's probably right, though, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Continued good luck with that. But I'm sure they'll be fine. Yes. I'm sure so, they'll be fine. John, you've been, you're well-respected, and uh, you are the, the guru in Central Ohio in terms of construction law, and uh, long uh, admired you for that. So, we have many mutual connections. Uh, you're involved in many uh, organizations throughout uh, the community. I want to ask you specifically, though, about Mary Tebow, the, who heads up the Builders Exchange and who's been a la- uh, recent podcast guest. So, Yes, uh, I noticed uh, she was on, yes. and uh, she was on before me, yeah. which obviously shows uh, beauty <laughs> before age or, or, or something. Um but uh, I know Mary quite well from the construction industry, but uh, perhaps more importantly, we used to run marathons together. She did her first marathon with me. We did Boston together. Yeah. And uh, uh, even more importantly, perhaps, uh, I badgered her into introducing me to my wife. So, wow. you know, when we're having like a really good day, I've got Mary to thanks. <laughs> Other days, well, you know. Maybe not so much. Maybe Maybe Mary's not responsible, so, but it's all good. Uh, she, she runs a, a great organization there, and I was glad to see that you had her on. Yeah. Uh, but she'll always remind me, I'm sure, that she got on here before I did. So. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, maybe we'll, what we'll have to do is just have you on more frequently than her, so you can one-up her on that. Well, do that at your own risk. Okay. That's, that's good. <laughs> so, so what do we see going on out there in, in the construction segment right now in terms of uh, legal cases. Anything new that's that's come up recently that folks should be aware of? Well, we're still fighting about time and money. As you know, yeah. labor is a problem, and it's tough to get a project in on time and on budget. So uh, we have the, uh, uh, the inevitable disputes over that that mm-hmm. uh, uh, continue. 
Uh, the good news is people are making money out there, uh, particularly the uh, grade A contractors, and yes. that's good to see. Uh, far cry from where we were 10 years ago or so, so it's, uh, it's a nice problem to have, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, the courts uh, continue to grind through with a number of different cases and and uh, issues and so forth. But uh, what we also see is less and less cases get tried all the time. Interesting. Uh, it's probably down to less than 1% of uh, disputes uh, that are filed end up in a trial itself. And I'd say for construction, it's even less than that. Really? Uh, so most things resolve sooner or later, and uh, that's a trend that has uh, continued over the years for a variety of reasons. More mediation, arbitration, those types of things, or or other other uh, things as well. I would say a number of factors. One is that everything gets mediated anymore. Okay, uh, and most things resolve at mediation. I know that I handle a lot of mediations myself as a mediator, and of course, any meaningful construction dispute that we have does go to mediation. Yeah, at least once. So that resolves a lot of things. It's a therapeutic exercise and allows people to have a pragmatic resolution of the case and, and they can shape it rather than let a judge or jury or a court of appeal shape it for them later. Uh, arbitration uh, is still alive and well, mm-hmm. although that was around back when we had higher rates of uh, trials and so forth. So mediation's part of it. Another part of it is just litigation's expensive and people yeah. like to try to avoid that when they can. Yeah, E-discovery, you know has really changed the game, and it it's quite costly uh, to to deal with all the electronic documents that we deal with in today's world. And so, interesting. It, I would have thought the opposite. Is that so? What what expound on that a little bit? Well, the volume of documents that are available these mm. days is just so huge compared to the old days. Okay. And uh, so, while you can have certain efficiencies when reviewing the documents and keywords and all that type of stuff. Uh, it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to manage. And okay. so it adds to the cost. Gotcha. And therefore, modest-sized disputes get very expensive to try to resolve. If there's a lot of zeros involved, maybe it's justified. If there's not, it it, it makes it tough to justify. Yeah. Now, obviously, the, as you indicated, the times are very different from the Great Recession we saw you know, 10, 11 years ago. How has that changed in terms of what you're seeing, uh, the dis- types of disputes and, and things like that? Well, we certainly had a lot of uh, bet the company kind of cases in, <laughs> in the lean times. Yeah. A lot of payment disputes. Uh, there were also more bid disputes. People were fighting about getting that job because yeah. they were desperate to get it. So there were more bid disputes. Now, you know, people just move on to the next job that bids yeah. tomorrow and uh, nobody worries about it. So the nature of the disputes. Uh, certainly has changed depending on whether the economy is uh, struggling or flush. Okay. Um, now we're certainly seeing, particularly here in central Ohio, the the size of jobs, I mean, continues to, to escalate. We have a number of, uh, you know, jobs that are well in, in excess of 100 million or more. In fact, uh, at the Power Breakfast uh, earlier this, this uh, month, uh, you know, we referred to the billion dollar belt and all the, you know, as, as you're well aware, the multi-hundred million dollar jobs that are around. What type of additional risks does that bring into play when we see these massive type of jobs going on? Well, just because it's a massive job with a large contractor utilizing large subcontractors, it doesn't mean that the labor shortage magically goes away. Mm. And in fact, it puts more of a demand on that. Uh, You know, we have 
huge projects like uh, the the hospital project at uh, OSU or mm-hmm. some of the data centers that are moving fast and furious and yeah. some of these large projects that it's very difficult to find uh, the subcontractor community that can provide the amount of labor that's necessary yeah. uh, to uh, deal with that project. And uh, so that's created its own uh, dynamic. And, uh, you know, during the lean times, you would have 13, 14 subcontractors right. bidding on a scope of work. Now they're begging to get, you know, two or three that would think about participating. Yeah. So uh, the dynamics change, particularly in central Ohio on our bigger jobs. Yeah, I was talking to a, a client yesterday who's uh, bidding on part of the package for the new Hilton Tower. And they had estimated, not they, the client, but the the uh, Franklin County who owns the, I think, owns the project. Uh, at estimated twenty million for this part of the package, and um, two bidders, and the low bid on it was well in excess of thirty million. You know, so I mean, that's the kind of thing that that you're seeing. That's where we are now. Yeah. Now, what types of risks does that bring from a legal perspective when you see these large jobs that are more certainly maybe more complex um, in in terms of the the management of those jobs? Well, certainly is uh, schedule driven. Mm. And to the extent you can't finish on time uh, or you need to go through some extraordinary efforts, accelerate, uh, you know, your workforce, work overtime, that sort of thing to stay on course. That's where big money is expended on a project of that size. So when you take this labor shortage and the drive to finish projects sooner rather than later before prices escalate, and then you start having delay on the project that may have been your fault, but most likely was not. Yeah. And everybody starts to push and shove about uh, some of the big dollars that get incurred when you have labor overruns driven by uh, the, the schedule issues. And so, uh, obviously, the bigger the project, the bigger the scale yeah. of those losses. Uh, and uh, nobody's interested in burying them. They want somebody else to pay them, and that's kind of where we come in. It's the finger pointing, right? It's yeah. always over over here, over yeah. there, et cetera. And, and nothing's more complex than construction when you think right. about it. I mean, dozens and dozens of contractors involved doing very complex activities, and sure. somebody has to coordinate all that, and that's that's never easy. No, not at all. And there's so many unforeseen risks and occurrences that, things that can happen and not always within control, right? I like to say that construction is a problem in progress. <laughs> there you go. And what separates the successful from the unsuccessful is the ability to manage those problems. And that's what comes down to good people. So true. Yeah, so true. Now, we also see, we're seeing a lot more uh, folks that uh, larger contractors coming from out of town as well that we're not maybe as familiar with and you know, all of a sudden we see uh, subs that we both know uh, in in the uh, region working for folks they've never worked for before. Have you seen uh, additional risks or, or trying to sneak stuff into contracts or, or maybe just contracts that they're not familiar with, uh, that kind of thing happening? Well, certainly when you're, uh, you're working for someone new, that's a different uh, mm-hmm. set of risk for both sides. And uh, a lot of times when someone blows into... A hot market like Columbus, maybe a one-off project that they're doing, or they have some, you know, big plans for increasing their presence in the marketplace that may or may not be realistic. Uh, a lot of times, those people 
do not have the sense of loyalty to the subcontractor mm. community that the regulars do, that know we're going to be here next year, we're going to be here 10 years from now, we were here 30 years ago. And so we have to treat them with a certain level of fairness. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times that goes out the window with a one-off out-of-town contractor, and so the risk certainly goes up. And then people really are looking at the fine print in the contract yeah. because that's really all you have. Uh, and that's far different than a relationship-based Sure. Thing because you you need that uh, that sub to give you a number on the next project and the one after that. Yeah, and and now probably more than any other time too. You want to pay attention. You know, people are so busy they they sometimes forget to to look at the details, right? And in, in some of those contracts, it's uh, it's easy to look past the details when you're too busy. Yeah. And uh, sometimes when times are good, you can you can weather that just because there's a momentum and there's enough money in the job and, yeah. you know, you can make it up on the next job, that type of thing. But, um, you know, if you're too casual with that, you can get better even in this environment. And uh, we certainly see plenty of examples of that. Yeah. Any recent cases uh, that have been decided in Ohio that have had an impact on, on the industry in, in particular in terms of? Uh, you know, anything that, that poses a risk or people should be aware of? Well, we've been involved in a couple of cases that have come out of the Ohio Supreme Court the last couple of years. One was basically saying that uh, the CGL coverage, the insurance policy that most contractors provide on work, basically doesn't cover construction defects. And even if you thought you were covered for that, you weren't. And uh, <laughs> so that was a, a big decision for yeah. the uh, business community and most particularly the insurance industry who's been taking premium on those policies for mm -hmm. years. Uh, there also was a case that dealt with the statute of repose, which is the amount of time that it takes, basically the last date that you can file a lawsuit for construction defects. And uh, the Supreme Court came out with a, probably a fairly contractor-friendly decision limited to 10 years, which is a long time, but a lot better than what it could have been well beyond that. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there was also a case that we argued that uh, dealt with liquidated damages and when they would be enforceable, okay. which is a big deal on projects that don't finish on time. Right. And so we had uh, the landmark case on uh, liquidated damages in the Ohio Supreme Court that uh, one of my partners prevailed on. So uh, there have been a number of busy cases yeah. uh, coming down like there normally are. Yeah, good stuff. So what about outside of the, uh, the construction segment in terms of um, – uh, legal uh, things. What What about, you know, we see so much with uh, cyber attacks and all this kind of stuff now and, you know, electronic documents, as you refer to, what kind of things can get you in trouble if you're a business owner from that perspective, just, just in general? Well, there's a lot of cases that are won or lost based on the electronic communications, okay. the emails, the texts, and so forth. Okay. And, and it's always amazing to me what people will put in writing to each other. <laughs> uh, and so, so even texts, huh? those can be discovered. They, and they, they are discoverable, okay. not as easy as emails, but they can and are, in the bigger cases, recoverable. And people think that all this stuff just vaporizes. Well, it never really goes away, as yeah. you know. And uh, so it, it's amazing what people will put in these emails, and it can make or break a, a case. It really, really wow. can. And uh, so my one rule, and this applies to any kind of business, uh, any kind of individual, it's a very simple rule, but I think it covers this pretty well, which is never put anything in an email that you don't want your mother 
or a judge or a jury to read. Mm. You follow that one rule, you'll be fine. But it's amazing the number of emails I see that violate that simple rule. <laughs> that's that's great <laughs> advice. So maybe can you share with us a couple that you've seen without reveal, revealing, uh, of course, anything confidential, but just uh, in, in general terms? Well, the one that I have that's st- still visually there is that I had a contractor doing work on a public project for... Okay an entity of the state of Ohio, and uh, the bureaucrats at the state decided they were going to have a Halloween party. Okay. And apparently, one of the uh, participants in the party decided to dress up like my Southern Ohio contractor client. Oh, no. And had a hard hat that they put on that was the name of his company, and like one of those monkey masks, like, uh, like out of Planet of the Apes yeah. or something like that, and a big pillow for the beer belly and all that sort of stuff. And uh, then they start circulating around with pot shots against him on this particular project uh, and making fun of him and his company. Because they were from Southern Ohio. Just a simple, you know, country boy from Southern Ohio. And they had, you know, he had his cigar and he didn't like his cigars. I got to say, you know, actually it wasn't all that far off. But the point is they were making fun of him in this manner and they were sending around to other people in these emails. And so when we tried the case, which we did, uh, we had a lot of we had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that didn't look too well for those folks that were with the the state in that case. I mean, not not particularly professional. And, uh, no. Uh, so there's just lots of examples where where people will put something very emotional uh, in an email, mm-hmm. or even the kind of snide comment that maybe would get by at the water cooler, maybe in a half serious way, where maybe you. You understand the tone and so forth, but when it comes across in black and white in email, it's quite harsh, and it can be really devastating. And and, uh, there's a lot of people that have been very uncomfortable on the witness stand when they've said things that they really probably wish they had not put in writing, whether they believed them or not. Wow. And and like you said, even text, you know, I think people sometimes uh, get probably even less professional, shall we say, in a in a text too. Absolutely right. So, um, well, you've been certainly involved in many, many trials, probably, I don't know, several hundred, I I would imagine in your career, if not more, what are some of the uh, craziest things you've you've seen out there and in your experience? Well, you know, when you're a, a civil lawyer like myself, just fighting about money, you're tossed in with the criminal matters Mm -hmm. that come before our judges who handle both. And, uh, I think it was my first big jury trial. I think it was 28 years old, 29 tops, and I was trying it for a contractor out of Detroit uh, against what's now my current firm, which was representing a public entity in Central Ohio. And it was going six, seven weeks, which is the longest jury trial at that time in this county. And right in the middle of it, as boring as it was, yeah. um, construction cases are not normally known for their <laughs> right. sex appeal, uh, there was a knock on the door in the courtroom. And what do you do when you hear a knock on the door? Yeah, you answer the door. You you answer the door. I was examining a witness. I was the closest to the door. I went to open up the door and let the person knocking come in. And fortunately for me and the jurors and everyone else, it wouldn't open. It was locked. And then we hear this clanging and banging and all this ruckus. We were trying in in a courtroom right next to the sheriff's office. Okay. And what had happened was one of the inmates had overpowered 
the deputy sheriff taking his gun and was trying to break out through our courtroom. And that's who was banging on oh the door. Oh, my gosh. I was trying to let them into our courtroom. <laughs> Fortunately, I failed at that. But they then darted by and then jumped off the second floor into this little atrium at the old courthouse, like John Wilkes Booth style, oh. and crashed down on the floor and then limped out on High Street. And then at gunpoint took uh, some poor woman in a red pickup truck hostage and uh, made her drive him to the south end at which time she finally tired of having a gun pointed in her direction and showing how tough she was. She must have been a South Sider herself. And she oh went, she pulled God. the gun out of his hand and threw it out the window and then drove about a block further up and told him to get out. So, oh my gosh. Um, that, then you flash forward about 25 years later. I'm in the same courthouse, different courtroom, different case, obviously. And right in the middle of a, a very boring cross examination, I'm in the you know, uh, be behind the dais and yeah. asking a question of the witness in the witness stand jury. They're trying to stay awake in the jury box. And all of a sudden, we hear the clang and the banging and a big ruckus. Uh -oh. And another uh, defendant has broken loose because he didn't like the sentencing in the adjoining courtroom. He broke <laughs> loose from the deputies, and he came right between me and the witness, right through the courtroom this time. The judge stands up and says, jurors. Seek sanctuary in the jury room, and they all scurry the jury room. And this this fellow who was uh, getting ready to be sentenced and was rather unhappy about his sentence, I think, he then comes zipping by us, and he's like one of those comic book characters where the legs kind of spin because they're moving so fast, yeah. and he's just doing that as he goes right between us in the courtroom and dashes out into the lobby and goes for the elevator, which time they taser him, <laughs> and you kind of hear a groan and a moan from that, and the uh, the incidents come to an end, so you never really know what's <laughs> what's going to happen in the courtroom, whether it relates to your case or not. Yeah, well, thankfully, you're not seeing too much of that. Hopefully, with with construction law, although I know, and certainly I've been involved in cases in the past where there's been fraud committed and folks uh, sent to prison. It's not, you know, it can happen, right? It's calmed down a little bit. I remember one of my first cases. I was taking a deposition, and our uh, client was this Italian uh, plumber. There were a lot of Italians in the trades mm -hmm. in those days. And like most plumbers, he had his big Popeye-type arms, you know, and yeah. strong but short-type fellow. Well, someone had asked a question in a deposition that he thought impugned the integrity of him and his family. Uh -oh. So he took exception. And so he jumped up, pounded on this big, thick conference room table, and tried to take a swing at the <laughs> fellow on the other side. And it was a big roundhouse, but he, he was still so short that he couldn't get the, the short arms all the way across the table. It just barely missed the guy on the other side. Meanwhile, the court reporter went underneath the table, and she's cowering under there, and then everybody's grabbing right. their respective clients, and things settled down. But uh, things are a little calmer these days, yeah. than perhaps in the early years. Yeah, we've uh, yeah. Thankfully, we don't we don't have too too many of those uh, here in Ray. <laughs> Not so much anymore at our shop either. No, we we get occasionally people upset. But uh, talk a little bit about how the legal practice has changed in terms of like being a trusted advisor. Have you seen that evolve over the last you know twenty five thirty years? It's certainly changed a lot. Uh, you know, I'm dating myself now when I talk about when I first started practicing. There was carbon paper, and then it went to, <laughs> then it went to faxes, and then it went to Federal Express, then it went to, you know, to to email. Right. And so the speed of the practice has sped up as any yeah. professional services have, and and um, I think what is sometimes lost in that 
is some of the deliberative thought. Okay. You know, it's more reaction and reaction mm-hmm. time and people's expectations. What do you think? And you're like, what do you think about what? Well, about the email I sent you five seconds ago, right? <laughs> right. And uh, so th- that is definitely changed. You know, okay. People still were looking for a trusted advisor then. Sure. They're looking for a trusted advisor now. But perhaps their patience and waiting for results and uh, uh, the expectations are are a little bit different. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are more likely now to look for specialization. They're more likely to look for that silver bullet, mm-hmm. where in the old days, maybe it was more like, well, we hear you have a good reputation, you're trusted, that's good enough. Now yeah. it's not good enough Interesting. Anymore. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's really a great, uh, great point that you make there. I think we see much the same uh, even in, in our business as well. But uh, great advice. One last question I got to ask you. What were you, were you doing last Friday in the courtroom? So I hear there's a good story here. Well, it's... Uh, it's a story that started about uh, 30 years before last Friday. But uh, last Friday, I was testifying as, as an expert witness in an attorney malpractice case. And I was an expert witness called on behalf of the lawyer who supposedly committed malpractice. Oh, oh why was I doing that? Well, I was doing that because a couple of years before, I'd been on the other side from him in this in the underlying case. Okay. And my client prevailed went poorly for the other side, who then was unhappy, sued their lawyer, and then I came back (laughs) for the second round as an expert witness in the case. But the reason it started 30 years before was I helped pass the Prompt Payment Act in Ohio, Mm. which said that you would pay contract, you know, contractors would pay their subcontractors within 10 days after they were paid, if not 18% interest and attorney's fees and some serious stuff. So it really helped the dynamic of payment in the industry. But when people were first getting used to it, uh, there were a number of people still had bad habits in town. I won't mention who they were, <laughs> sure. but you might be able to guess a few. And um, that we had to, to, to sue one of them on behalf of a number of different clients. Well, the first case goes to trial, and it was for a roofer in town, the old school guy. I really liked him and his ethics, and, yeah. and he was a principal guy, and he said, you know, I'm going to make my stand. So we made our stand, tried the case, won. It got 18% interest in attorney's fees. It was the first victory under the Prompt Payment Act. And then people started paying promptly yeah. because they didn't want to get whacked for— Wow, yeah, this is really, you this, know, this, can this, happen. Seri- this serious stuff. Well, then you go 25 years after that, and I get a call. Someone has a prompt pay problem. And we're at the biggest subcontractor, uh, woman-owned business, hadn't really represented her in the past. Uh, but uh, the reason I agreed to take on her case is she was the daughter oh of my the person gosh. that I tried the first prompt payment case wow. for. Wow. And so she came to me with it, and uh, we went forward with the case. Like the other side thought maybe she wouldn't have the resources to see it through. To but it. what they didn't appreciate was I had a sense of loyalty to her yeah. and her family. And uh, so we tried it, and that was a case that we won, and we really whacked the other side yeah. with our 18% interest. Six figures, legal fees, et cetera, wow. et cetera. So that then led to the malpractice yeah. case, which had me then testify last Friday. So I'm answering questions rather than asking them in the courtroom up in Delaware County on oh Friday. Oh, my gosh. The jury came back at the end of the day. I was the last witness in the case, and they found in favor of the lawyer on the other side. Yeah. Uh, that and, there was uh, no malpractice. There was no malpractice, and he recovered his fees, and uh, 
Good. That was the end of the story. So Lady Justice. That's awesome. I uh, had the final say. Yeah, great stuff. Well, that's, you know, certainly you've got, we, we could talk for hours, Don, about all the, the experience and, um, you know, just the, I, I think the sage advice that you can provide for folks. So we'll have to have you on for 2.0 so you can one up on on Mary in terms of that. <laughs> so. Anything to get an edge on Mary because she's probably a little bit faster than I am these days. So. <laughs> 2.0 would be just fine. I love that. So great, great advice. And certainly uh, you've pointed out many of the, the uh, benefits to having a, a counsel like yourself and, and truly somebody who is that, uh, that trusted advisor. So appreciate it. And thank you for coming on. Uh, if you want more business tips and insight or to hear previous episodes of Unsuitable, visit our podcast page at www.raycpa.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's show. You can subscribe to Unsuitable on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube. I'm Doug Hauser. Join us next week for another Unsuitable interview from an industry professional. The views expressed on Unsuitable on Ray Radio are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Ray and Associates. The podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to replace the professional advice you would receive elsewhere. Consult with a trusted advisor about your unique situation so they can expertly guide you to the best solution for your specific circumstance. 